to The Expressionists, a podcast exploring how idioms connect us with the past and to each other. I am one of your two hosts, Olivia Rosenman. And I'm the other, Helen Reitstrand. And today on the show, we are really going to walk the talk with an episode all about ambulation. For the next 30 or so minutes, we will become your own personal walking encyclopedias. I'll be taking a walk down memory lane with an idiom that's a little antiquated, and Helen will be walking the thin line between linguistics and psychology. Are we walking a tightrope? Perhaps. Walking is not the most exciting of topics, but we hereby promise to provide an episode that is far from pedestrian, and we're pretty sure that by the end of this ramble, you'll be walking on air. But first, your financial support helps us with expenses like web hosting, equipment, promotional materials, and the blood, sweat, and tears it takes to put the show together. So if that is something that you would like to do, head to our website, click on support, and I promise it's a walk in the park. So, Helen, let's hit the frog and toad. (laughs) Olivia, have you heard the term eggshell relationship before? I'm not sure if I have, but I feel like I maybe have a sense of what it means. Yeah, me too. I hadn't heard of the term specifically itself either, but when I came across it, I knew exactly what it meant. Clearly, it references that pretty cliched idiom, walking on eggshells, which is such an evocative phrase, tiptoeing around so you don't make a sound and upset tetchy people. Wait a minute. I thought that walking on eggshells was about not smashing the eggshells, not cracking the shells, rather than making the sound. Yeah, I suppose that's right. So trying to be as light as possible. Mm -hmm, So the mm -hmm. eggshell is the tetchy person in your version? Yeah, I guess so. Interesting. The other kind of feeling that I have about it is that walking on eggshells would be super uncomfortable, even painful. You reckon? I think it might feel kind of nice, like a sort of uh, exfoliatory massage. But if you get like a little shard right up in there, depends how calloused you are, I suppose. Yeah, I've got pretty tough feet, Helen. If you are tender-footed like me, (laughs) putting yourself through walking over eggshells to keep other people happy is a pretty uncomfortable, unpleasant experience. Mm -hmm. So the phrase eggshell relationship refers to an essentially emotionally abusive relationship, whether between intimate partners, within families, with friends or colleagues, where one party is really emotionally volatile, often in a controlling way. I came across it in one of those Psychology Today articles, uh, which are often interesting and informative, but admittedly sometimes also of doubtful authority, right? Mm. Uh, I guess they're popular sources on kind of pop psychology ideas. But useful for us, since we are less interested in psychology than we are in cultural ideas, which I think this article illustrates sufficiently. I think you've hit the nail on the head, Helen. (laughs) You never miss an opportunity, do you? So I'm working backwards today by starting with this more contemporary definition or variation of this term. It didn't always have this specificity of meaning or connotation. So where does it all begin, Helen? So to leap all the way back... From 1742, we have the phrase to tread upon eggs, to walk warily as on delicate ground. You would want to be even more careful if you were walking on whole eggs rather than just egg shells. Because there's something actually valuable inside. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true, true. So I think it's not clear from this definition if the phrase is meant to be taken literally at this point, Um, as in we're literally talking about delicate 
ground, but I think not based on the first instance in the Oxford English Dictionary, which is from a biography of some guy called Francis North by some of his descendants. The sentence is, this gave him occasion, Francis I assume, to find if any slip had been made, for he had all along trod upon eggs. In the following century, we had moved on to walking on eggshells, and the OED's first entry for that is none other than Wilkie Collins' marvellous Woman in White. Do you know this book? I don't at all. So this one is first published in 1860 in Charles Dickens' All Year Round magazine, which we've encountered before. We have. Um, Oh, Dicko. Oh, Oh, Dicko. Sure. (laughs) And this novel is often called the first sensation novel, which is a genre that combines melodrama and uh, stories about kind of criminal hysterical women. Oh, sounds like a rollicking good read. They are, yeah. So, And it's also often described as a precursor to the modern detective novel. So without the sensation novel, we do not have Sherlock Holmes or Agatha Christie. Little did I know that that very same night, a murder most ingenious, it was being planned. Are you saying you know who killed him, Mr. Poirot? Was it one of us? The sentence comes from an eccentric and menacing Italian character called Count Fosco. All of the Italian characters from the 19th century back are menacing and intelligent and have a dark past. Count Fosco says, With that woman for my enemy, I walk, in your English phrase, upon eggshells. It sounds, though, in this example, that this is more about being scared rather than dealing with some sort of volatile fragile person. Yeah, I think it does a bit. The Macquarie Dictionary defines treading on eggshells as to be very cautious in anticipation of an impending disaster. The OED, though, is more concerned with the interpersonal, um, but it's more general or neutral, I think. So they say it is to be extremely cautious in one's actions or words, especially so as to avoid offending or angering others. So this to me seems a bit more like being on your best behaviour in a certain kind of situation rather than dealing with a particular person. But it seems like there's a bit of a shift happening. So in the most recent example sentence, which is from the UK Cosmo magazine in 1999, the meaning contained in the idea of the eggshell relationship is registered. Quote, danger sign number four, he suffers from mood swings. You tread on eggshells because there's no knowing what will set him off. End quote. Right, so obviously this is a are you in a bad relationship kind of a column. And Urban Dictionary's top definition refers to being careful around a certain person as well. So that to me sort of signals that, which is my feeling as well, that this is the kind of dominant way that people use it. It's about like dealing with a particular relationship rather than your behavior in general. So I thought it would be a bit interesting to compare the evolution of meaning of this phrase Uh, to that of walking on thin ice, which logically is a sort of similarly precarious situation where you have to walk carefully, but does mean something pretty different. What does walking on thin ice mean to you, Olivia? I feel like if you're walking on thin ice, you are behaving or doing something sort of close to some sort of boundary where you need to be careful not to overstep that boundary. Yeah, I have basically the same kind of idea, like something could go wrong. Yeah, you might say you're pushing the envelope. The parallel examples you're giving are like interestingly horizontal. 
mm. as opposed to like vertical, which I feel like this yes. phrase no, imagery I, is. Yeah, you're right. But I definitely consider... Crossing a boundary, pushing an envelope. Yeah, that, that is an interesting observation about horizontal versus vertical. But I think one thing they all have in common is you're close to an edge that might be broken and things irrevocably changed afterwards. Right, yeah, once the ice is broken. Once you've crossed the line, there's right. no stepping back. As we learned in our earlier episode, the whole fate of ancient Egypt rested upon it. A line in the sand. Indeed. So the Macquarie Dictionary's definition of being on thin ice is to be in a risky or delicate situation, which is what we're describing. But the phrase seems to mainly derive from skating on thin ice, not walking. So the OED has uh, skating on thin ice or skating around something as meaning to pass by or over hurriedly or to avoid mentioning. Well, to me, skating is simply an optimized form of walking. Sure. Okay. So you, what you're saying is that it's it's valid for consideration in this episode? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I recently went ice skating and I can tell you that it's a pretty different kind of movement. Yeah. I mean, Australians aren't natural ice skaters, no. are we? So the earliest example that the OED has doesn't even refer to ice per se, but it's clearly related to the idea. It's from 1841 or so, and it's Ralph Waldo Emerson. He says, we live amid surfaces, and the true art of life is to skate well on them. Hmm. The earliest phrase that does refer to thin ice is from the Church Times in 1897. And the sentence is, Cardinal Vaughan is an adept at skating over thin ice. In his address, there were many points which everyone knows were weak, but he glided over them with surprising deftness. It seems to be more about avoiding topics that you just don't really want to talk about. I mean, it's political speak, isn't it? Mm. Answering everything but the actual question. So there's another cool example from 1926, which illustrates this nicely, referring to a princely figure of slightly sinister aspect, skating perilously on the thin ice of foreign affairs. And talking of ice, Helen, are you aware of the connection between horses and ice? Do horses take a lot of ice. <laughs> no. no. Is, I, is ice actually a drug for horses? No, I'm talking about frozen water. Oh, okay. Sorry. Right. Well, look, this is a very brief tangent, but bear with me because it's a good one. So there's this famous, although much contested story in a book about World War II written by an Italian journalist. And he was also a highly intellectual, menacing character. In fact, he was often described as a provocateur. His name was Curzio Malaparte. I think I've pronounced that right. I mean, that sounds great to me. And he... You know, he sounds evil because he's got the word mal in his mm-hmm, surname. Mm-hmm. So, wait, he's not evil, actually. Let's just clear things up. He told this story of witnessing, during the siege of Leningrad, the sudden freezing of Lake Ladoga, which is located on the Russian-Finnish border, which is a very cold place indeed. But nevertheless, the lake was not frozen and Mr. Malaparte witnessed it freeze suddenly, bam, when a bunch of horses ran into it. And the horses may or may not have been fleeing a wildfire. That's not entirely clear, but it sounds super fantastical, right? What happened was that the horses were frozen, stuck in there, and then they all died. In fact, this 
Very Sorry was recently investigated in an excellent episode of Radiolab, which I recommend everyone listen to, called Super Cool. And it turns out that there may well be a speck of truth in this, and it has something to do with the purity of water and freezing temperatures and bacteria. I won't say any more. Extraordinary. It is extraordinary. It's interesting that you're talking about ice and horses. Yeah. Are we going somewhere with horses here? You're right. You're right. I was talking about horses. A specific horse, in fact. Shank's pony. Who's Shank? Yeah. Good question, right? So Shank's pony means to travel by foot. You're not familiar with this phrase? I mean, I think no one says it ever. No, you're right. I wasn't also familiar with it, but... Turns out people do say it as recently as a couple of days ago. It was mentioned in a news article about some great hikes, although it does come from a quaint place, Helen. What place is that? Scotland. Uh, do you really want to try the accent? <laughs> I think I did a good job there of Scotland. You was fine. Yeah, cool. let's just leave it there, yeah. though. The first recorded usage in the Oxford English Dictionary is in a 1774 poem by a Scottish poet called Robert Ferguson. Someone. <laughs> Sorry. Robert Ferguson. This tome of poems was called Poems on Various Subjects. Now, now that is an image to conjure with. <laughs> I'd be buying that one. So the line is, an old shank snag wad tire. I can't wait. Don't do it. An old shank snag wood tire I dread to pace to Berwick. So it's in some sort of oldie, Englishy Scots there, but it's also recorded in a 1795 poem by the British poet Samuel Bishop. He says, I'd rather ride on Shank's mare. So I think from the fact that we have these two usage examples in close succession uh, around the same time, around the same place, I think we can deduce that this was well and truly a saying at the time. So, but in the first one, you said nag? I did, yes. So there's another meaning of nag that is still apparently in use, once again, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, and that is to mean a small riding horse or pony. It's colloquial, I should add, and it often these days means especially an old or feeble one. Not one that I'm familiar with, but hey. Really? A nag is a pony? Yeah, like a bony horse. Oh, there you go. Interestingly, I also discovered that nag has two obsolete meanings listed in the Oxford English Dictionary that I just thought I would like to share with you. Penis and prostitute. And the example sentences for each are quite fantastic. So 1709, in a work called William Penn Turned Conjurer, which I could not find much more information about, Poor Peter's nag is caught in Hannah's pound. Interesting. There's a lot more to be explored in that. And, of course, Shakespeare called Cleopatra the nag of Egypt in Antony and Cleopatra, his 1623 play. So there you go. The nag of Egypt. There's a story there. But Maybe we're back to the awesome summoning power of horses in English. Ah, yes. Language. And for more on that, see episode 11. All about horses. All right, but back to Shank's pony, please. If you're riding a pony, you're not walking, right? So explain. So the shank is that part of the leg which extends from the knee to the ankle, the tibia, or the shin bone, uh, the part that is especially delicious on a lamb. <laughs> the expression then is based on a pun where shank, which refers to your legs, is turned into the surname Shank and then juxtaposed with pony, thereby referring to a non-existent pony that is the only pony 
that person can afford to ride home. So as Julia Cresswell put it in the Oxford Dictionary of Word Origins, the phrase is typically a wry observation regarding a person's inability to afford any means of transport other than their own two feet. Of course, Helen, I would hate for such aspersions to be cast upon me, which is why my chosen means of transport is a two-wheeled chariot. Pulled by someone else on Shanks Pony? No, I'm talking about my bike. Helen, given all that we've learnt about the Rye Associations, etc., etc., you might say that back in Scotland in the 18th century, people travelling on Shanks Pony were doing a walk of shame. You could say that, I guess. Have you ever done the walk of shame, Helen? That's an interesting question, Olivia. Yes. All right. So I am being a little bit cheeky here because, of course, the walk of shame is a slang term that refers to, and I'll read the Oxford English Dictionary's definition here, an instance of walking back home on the day after an unplanned casual sexual encounter, typically wearing the same clothes as on the previous evening. So, Helen, any guesses as to where this one comes from? Oh, it has like a special... Origin? Mm-hmm. I'm not looking at the notes. Not looking. Um, like where it comes from? I don't know. I assume it's American. You Let's would be right. Say like college campus kind of thing. Did you peek at the notes, Helen? I didn't peek, but I'm guessing because there's got to be somewhere where like people notice that you're walking in. You're right, Helen. Nice work there. According to the OED, the first recorded usage is a remarkably obscure text. They say it's from the type script, which, you know, just the typed record, I suppose, of a 1990 English class from the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. But I actually don't think that the OED has got it right here because I checked the term on the Google Ngrams viewer, which is a Google tool that allows you to search a term in thousands of books that they've scanned from 1800 to today. And indeed, there is a long flat line of zeros for the walk of shame until 1988, when it begins a quick and dramatic spike. And that spike peaks in 1994. Well, I for one am pleased that it has fallen out of use since 1994, no doubt, because we are entering a hopefully more sex-positive age. What do you reckon? Me too, Helen. Me too. Well, thank you for joining us on this walking episode of The Expressionists. We hope you enjoyed the stroll. We'd be walking on sunshine if you followed in the footsteps of Keith Duddy, who gave us a shout-out via the iTunes reviews. We'd love to hear from you, so please drop us a line there or via Facebook or Twitter. You'll find us tweeting away as at X Podcast. That's EX Podcast. That's it for today. I'm Helen Rydstrand. And I'm Olivia Rosenman. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Shanks nag. Wad tire. I Stop it. <laughs> and we all want to be Scottish, but only a few chosen ones actually get to be. It's true. So I just embrace to. your Aussie accent. Oh, I just want to be <laughs> Scottish. It's so badly. <laughs> I okay. shouldn't let you have that beer. <laughs>